Welcome to James Explores the New Mutants, the podcast that, you guessed it, explores, examines, and explains the comic book series, The New Mutants. It's rebranding, relaunches, and spin-offs in an attempt to share my passion for the series, its characters, writers, and artists. In today's episode, we'll discover just who's scaring Stevie, why Kitty was correct, Xavier is a jerk, and why you should never ask the New Mutants to help solve a personal problem when we explore New Mutants issue number four, Who's Scaring Stevie, also known as the Marvel After School Special. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. Before we dive into issue number four, um, of the New Mutants, I'd really like to take a moment and review uh, the creative team uh, because there are some changes. Of course, we still have Chris Claremont writing the series, and Luis Jones is going to continue to edit, uh, but there's a new penciler on board, and his name is Sal Basema. Now, Bob McLeod is still on the book. He is doing finishing. Um, and what we find out, uh, what I found out, uh, in an interview that is on that is posted on his uh, website at bobmcleod.com, when he was asked in this interview about did he have any regret, regrets about the New Mutants, uh, he he gives a pretty detailed <laughs> explanation as to what happened uh, and what his biggest regrets were, and it really comes down to what he viewed was quality work. He wanted to do his best drawings, and he felt like. Uh, when he was handed this title, he was super excited. Like, he really wanted to be a co-creator on a very new spinoff. It was a big deal for him. This is his first regular penciling assignment, and he's creating a new book. So he's jazzed about this at the time. And that quickly changes, because what they're, what, what's, what happens when he's working on this very first book, they're, they are scheduled three months ahead. They're, they're going to have plenty of time to complete these issues and get them to the printer and out to the market, and he's going to be able to do his best work. But there's a wrench thrown into this, and that's the introduction of the graphic novels and the decision to make issue number one a graphic novel. So he's got a few pages done, and then he gets word that he's got to go from 22 pages to 50 pages, so that extends the amount of work he has to do, and he's got to ink it, well, he wants to ink it, and, and this all basically puts them behind schedule. And it eats up into their that that padded that three months padding they had with their their launch of their the issues number two, any issues after that. So all of their padded uh padding to their schedule has now go, is gone. So now he's under intense pressure to get pages out these issues printed and he doesn't feel like he's doing his best work uh, he feels very rushed and some of that probably has to do with it it's his first penciling assignment right he feels like he's drawing these quickly these pages too quickly he wasn't prepared to do that um and so they bring in a new penciler and he's going to do inking and what he feels like is that if he inks the book himself uh so the first thought was that they would have him to continue to pencil and bring in a new inker. Well, any inker that would come on board, he felt like was less experienced than him, and it wouldn't. It would affect the way the book looked. So he thought the better 
decision would be to bring in a new penciler and he would ink over their over their pencil and it would allow him to have better control over the finishing touches and how the book looked and so they tried that for two issues here and it's not the final straw that broke his broke the camel's back and i and i'm debating whether i should bring this up now or not um I think we'll just talk about it now. We can always revisit it in two more issues. But M- Bob McLeod says the thing that broke the camel's back for him, you know, he's he's trying to work with this crazy schedule, the intense pressure, and then they bring in Team Team America. And that was kind of for him. Like, he thought that was too ridiculous and just too didn't make sense for this comic. There's no reason to have these characters in this book. And that was enough. He was done after that. Like, that's when he walked away. He just didn't think it made sense to have that team in this book. Um, and and the sad part is, like, he doesn't feel like this is his best work. And for me, I look at what he did with the New Mutants, and, you know, I've heard other podcasters talk about this. You know, his artwork in these books, I mean, he draws teenagers so perfectly their bodies look different. Their facial features make them look different. They don't look like models with just different hairdos. They all have unique features. So you can see these characters, and they could all be shaved bald, and you'd still be able to tell them all apart because his artwork is that fantastic. There's some other things that are pretty remarkable. When you look back at some of these uh, other issues, um, issue number three, Danny, Danny uh, Moonstar is swimming in the pool and she's she's naked and that is not sexualized at all like there's no like this is this is just you know it's it's beautiful to see a young teenager that is not sexualized in any way like even though she's naked and that's a huge deal in an industry that is driven by i guess we'll just say TNA really i mean the 90s you look at most women in superhero comics and they have large busts and uh, curvy bodies and slender and tall and long legs. And I mean, they are made to look like supermodel bombshells, the objects of men's desires, of teenage boys' desires, right? And we don't see that at all in these books. And I talked about when we when we go from new mutants number 3 last episode we went from new mutants new mutants number 3 to uncanny x-men 167 the drastic change in how those characters were drawn in that book it wasn't bad but they if you would have shaved their heads bald you wouldn't have been able to tell, you couldn't have, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I could say that I could have told the difference between karma and and Danny Moonstar, they their faces look pretty similar. There's not a lot of um, facial features, uh, and so you know I think that's really something that makes Bob McCloud's run, although it be short, super significant, and really sets the tone, at least art-wise, for what this book is gonna do. It's not gonna be glamorous superheroes running around. This is about teenagers struggling to relate just like teenagers do 
everywhere in the world. It's about growing up. And this, the, his artwork absolutely caught that and sets a tone for this book, at least art-wise, that I don't know is that's going to be matched until we see Zinkowitz, in my opinion, come on the book. And he just ex- totally, totally goes places that comics have never been before and changes what can be done in this medium. Um, and that's something I think that McLeod, in my opinion, should be proud of, that he set a tone and held himself to a standard that really makes, for me looking back at it, for a very pleasing uh, introduction to characters that I begin to really care about in ways that I wouldn't have guessed. Um, So I think that's super exciting. I feel really bad that he fell off the book when he did. Um, And it's really sad that he leaves when Team America comes on because the book, the series, really finds its footing once they finish up that the arc that deals with Team America as they go to Nova Roma and we uh, have uh, the events take place there. That's when the book begins to find its footing. And then after that, it's just, it's gone and it's off to the races. Um, But that's what's going to happen. We're going to see Sal Bosema come on and he's going to do penciling uh, for this book up until Zinkowitz comes on and takes over. Uh, the the penciling duties. Um, and we're only going to have McLeod doing finishing for a while. We will have McLeod on covers for quite a bit. He had quite a few covers that he did for the New Mutants, so we'll see his, his art on covers even after he's no longer working on the title. But that is kind of... That's where we're headed. Um, I also think now is probably the, the appropriate time to bring this up, too. Um, I found another interview with Bob McLeod as I was looking for uh, information as to why he, was, he decided to leave the book. Um, and this was a sci-fi Wired interview, and he was talking about something we talked about uh, back when we were talking about the origin of this series. And he was talking about uh, the the balance of the team, why there was more women than there were men. And he he says that was his decision. Like, he made that call. It was his idea to have more girls than guys on the team. Um, and, and, he, and he attributes this because when he was looking around at books at the time, at superhero books, most of them were full of guys. And we talked about this last time. And they had that token female role. And he didn't want to mimic that and he also really enjoyed drawing uh, girls like he he really enjoyed that and so he figured you know why not just have the team have more girls and guys and I and I think that was a great decision and if he I think it really paid out well I think he again like we come back to his artist style and the way he draws faces and bodies his he he puts these female characters the emphasis and the emphasis and um, intention and focus he places on how he draws characters and makes them all unique helps set these women apart from the men in the book. But not only it makes them individuals within the book, just visually, 
And then you take Claremont, who's, a, I think, a great writer and does really well, does a very good job. He puts characteristics and personalities into these characters that McLeod has individualized, and it further develops them and fleshes them out in a way that I don't know, like when I was talking about Paul Smith, if he would have could have done the same thing as quickly as McLeod and Claremont's partnership with this book. I just really adore it. And if that isn't obvious in what I'm talking about, uh, I'd be surprised. But uh, yeah, that's me raving and gushing over Bob McLeod. And the funny thing is, when I first discovered this book, I don't know if I would have had these opinions. But as I've aged and gotten older and begun to look at comics a little differently than that teenage boy that was collecting X-Men drawn by Jim Lee or any of those other artists that were big in the 90s, like, my my taste has changed and my ability to rationalize and understand things has also changed. Um, and for that I'm grateful because uh, Bob McLeod, you are amazing, sir, and thank you for your creation. Uh, that being said, let's let's get into issue number four. I know I just finished talking about Bob McLeod's contribution to the to the comic, and I meant every word of it. But I'm going to switch gears and talk about Sal Bosema's first splash page on this title. It I believe is just perfect. It is stunningly simple but gets the point across to what we're going to experience in this book. It's black and white lines interchanged on the first page uh, with text telling us what's happening. Um, In between on the white lines, we have, in between the black lines on those white lines, we have who's scaring Stevie. And the, the black lines have the text of characters talking. First we see... Uh, I'll just read it. Bring, 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 click. Hello. Then on the next black line, Hi, Stevie. The next black line, You know who this is. You know what I want. Soon I'll come to get it. Next black line, Bye. Bzzz. And from that, if if you know what a wall phone or a dial, a, a, a rotary or a, a, a wall-mounted phone looked like from the 80s, something I grew up with, and hopefully some of you listeners did, um, that's what it was. It would ring, shrill sometimes, very uh, metallic sounding, and you'd get a click. You'd hear the click when, when the phone was picked up um, from the other end. Um, and when you hung up on, if somebody hung up the phone while you were still on the line, you'd hear a buzz. Um, you, you don't get that with cell phones. And I don't know how you'd tell this story. I'm sure there's a way to do it with cell phones, but this is classic. This is absolutely classic. And when I look at this splash page, I, I automatically am tossed in maybe because I grew up with, uh, with these phones. Um, but I also think of movies where where somebody's threatening somebody over the phone, this this pulls me into that imagery as well. And it, it, it feels and it looks 
very much. Like, I know just by looking at this first page exactly what's happening. There's nothing on here except for black and white lines and then the text. And it's, I think it's perfect. I think it's absolutely perfect. We know from this very first page something has happened with Stevie off-panel. Something's been going on that, that we didn't know was happening before, but we're being brought up to speed in a single page. And I think it's done absolutely beautifully. It's simple, easy, clean, and we're, and we're into the middle of the story. And it's something that Claremont does well. And when he is paired with a superb artist, and a, 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 even a capable artist, you get something like this. And, and it's perfect. It, it fits the story, and we know where we're going from here. So let's get started. So on the next page, we see Stevie's on the phone, and she's yelling into the receiver. She's very upset. And Shanquin Man comes into the room, Karma, and, and asks, is this another call? And Stevie's like, yes. And she's like, the same as the last one? And Stevie slams down the receiver, yelling, yes. And, and uh, Shane says she need, you know, Stevie needs to go to the police again. Like, they've got to do something because these calls keep happening. And, and she says, well, they, can't, they said they can't do anything. They can't figure out who's making the calls, and, and they can't do anything about it. It's just verbal harassment. It's not serious enough, serious enough crime to really do anything about it. Um, and they're leaving, walking out into the dance studio. They're, they're at her studio, uh, and they walk out into the studio out of... Uh, I, presumably, Stevie lives in the studio, um, in, a, in a room off to the side. Um, they're they're coming out into the dance studio, and Shane suggests that maybe the New Mutants or the X Men could help. And really, Stevie just wants to handle the problem herself. She feels like it's her problem, and and everybody just needs to stay out of it. And and all of a sudden, they're interrupted. Uh, well, first, from it's in French. Uh, Karma is telling her that she's being, you know, basically foolish. It pretty much like she's being absurd, and that the that the new mutants, especially, are her friends, and they care about her, and they're willing to do anything they can to help her. But they're interrupted. This conversation's interrupted by Peter Bristow, who's a student of Stevie's, and Stevie's like, "What are you doing here?" And he tells her, "Well, the door was open. I thought I'd come in and tidy up before class." and she tell you know and and basically Stevie's like you know don't worry about it we'll talk more tonight but I've got to f- teach class you need to be back at school anyways Xavier's expecting you. Elsewhere at Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, the remaining team members uh, Danny, Moonstar, Sam Guthrie, Cannonball, uh, Roberto da Costa, Sunspot. And Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, are outside playing uh, a game of frisbee in the snow. And Danny flings the frisbee, and Rain takes off after it, and she's in her wolf's form. And she chases it down. And as she nears it, she leaps for it, and she transforms into her lupine, half human, half wolf state, and catches the frisbee and tosses the frisbee once again. As she lands, she transforms back into the wolf state and chases it down again and grabs it just before Roberto can grab it. And uh, they collide. 
and land in a heap on the ground and she begins licking and still in the wolf's form licking roberto's face uh, and everybody's chuckling at this um Roberto gets up and he he flings the disc and he tells Sam, you know, see if you can, you know, catch it too, just like rain. See if you can do it faster than rain. And he he launches himself in his cannonball form. Uh, He flies after the disc. He's able to grab it and he's overjoyed by this, but uh, unable to turn. He he runs smack into a tree. It it, you know chopping it essentially in half. It collapses. Heels laying below it. He's uh, grateful that he is. Uh, invulnerable when he's blasting thankfully and he's not hurt but he's extremely embarrassed you know and and this not being able to turn thing is becoming a very big problem for him Uh, his teammates think it's great you know Danny and and Roberto are both pointing and laughing um, but he is embarrassed and you know, uh, not sure, you know, what it's going to take for him to be able to turn. He's, he's one of the older students, and he's still unable to, to actively control his powers once he starts blasting. Um, and uh, I'd like to just touch on this. Here's another sequence where we see the team interacting. It's very much a... It's it's almost like the danger room sequences that we see with the X-Men, uh, but this is just the the kids being kids and it's a really cool way to introduce you to the characters uh in, in some form uh but their their fun and joy uh is interrupted when Xavier calls them uh using his tele- telepathic mind call telling them to come to a study and meet him uh Sam's a little worried you know he's done damage in the in in Xavier's uh yard outside the mansion uh, and we have Jenny Moonstar also concerned, right? Like, she realizes Xavier, you know, she doesn't know who this is anymore. This may, may he, he might be a different person than he was, remember? Because Xavier had tried to kill her uh, only an issue ago, and that was because he was in, under the influence of a brood embryo. But nonetheless, she does not sur- certain where where if he can be trusted anymore. So they do head inside, and as they're heading into the study, they they're come across uh, Lalandra, and Lalandra is the ruler, or was the ruler of the Shi'ar Empire. She's also the girlfriend of Charles Xavier. She's an alien. Uh, her sister is now ruling uh, the empire, and she's deposed and is on Earth now, right now with Xavier. Um, it's part of the brood saga. We're not going to get too far into that. Uh, but uh, they all come across her, and she tells them, hey, you know, you guys meet with Xavier, and once you're done, come out to the living room. I'll have sandwiches waiting for you. And Roberto, he doesn't see anything abnormal with it. They all react differently. Roberto's very much like, oh, cool, thanks. That's very kind of you, you great, gracious lady. Um, Sam Guthrie's like, I know she's my friend. He's thinking this to himself. I know she's a friend, but uh, she still weirds me out a little bit. Uncertain. He's not really sure where. He kind of get, gets the willies from her. Um, Rain Sinclair's like, oh, my lady, you're you're well above me. You know, you shouldn't be serving us. You shouldn't be waiting us. And and Danny Moonstar is like, what? Uh, no, uh, she can serve us. Like, there's nobody's too good for to to help another person like she doesn't see that 
um, structured um, hierarchy of social status that that Rain is so enamored and uh, influenced by. Uh, I just really enjoy their reactions. Like Sam's very much this like country boy that maybe he's not used to seeing this broad world. He's not as open to it yet, and as he's exposed exposed to more th- things maybe he'll be less intimidated or worried by it uh rain sinclair is so sheltered and she comes from the society where like there are social statuses and she is not anywhere near the top and so anytime anyone with um, a higher social standing than she has offers to provide her with any assistance or wait on her what she would perceive as waiting on her or provi- serving her she she's really uh, eerie you know she's not comfortable with that um danny doesn't see so, so, so everybody's equal in her eyes and nobody serves anybody and she's disgusted by that she's very much the rebel and roberto just finds it natural right he's just like Right, he he wants to be part of this world. He sees himself part of this world as a superhero. Like he wants to be a superhero. He also is from a higher standing. Right, his his social standing. His father's wealthy. Uh, he comes from Brazil. He's well-to-do family. So it's not maybe it, he sees this as much more normal than anyone else does. Um, so they head into the study and they're talking to Xavier. Uh, Karma shows up late. Um, and he talks to them about what had happened previously, right? That, hey, I know I was under the influence of a brood embryo, embryo when I, uh, you know, I, I had a brood embryo in me and the brood was influencing my decision to open the school again, you know. And I realized that, like, some horrible things happened and I feel really terrible for that. But I do still think that I do nonetheless he felt that it's very important that he opens a school and he can, wants to continue that and he and he apologizes for for stuff and and he owns it and he tells the students you know I, what i would really like is you to all stay here and continue to learn your learn to use your powers as students you know you won't be superheroes i just want you to you know give this a chance because if you can't control your power you know he just wants them to be able to control their powers and he thinks the school is a great idea and Danny speaks up, right? She says, I think I speak for the rest of my teammates, but, you know, I think, every, and I think everybody deserves a second chance. And so they're willing to stay. And uh, that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to give this school a chance and go from there. So during this, uh, Xavier has noticed that... Uh, Karma has been really quiet. She hasn't really said much, and she seems preoccupied. And and he does tell them that, hey, you know, I know you all think I strap on you, and I use my abilities to read your minds, uh, so I know at all times what you're thinking. Well, that's not true. I don't. So, please, Shane, can you can you tell me, Shane is Karma? Please tell me what's bothering you. And she tells him about Stevie Hunter and that she's in danger. And she tell, explains further that, like, she's getting these menacing phone calls and that she thinks that they need to do something to help uh, Stevie. And, you know, Danny's all about it. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, whether I'm in, whether, you know, Xavier says yes or no, it doesn't matter. I'm in. And she really is, like, thinks to herself, like, 
I hope he says no. And he's, it's such a strong and powerful emotion and thought that he picks it up without even trying to read her thoughts. And he decides, you know, okay, fine. What I'm gonna, he decides what he's going to do is he's going he's gonna to have them, it's going to become kind of like a teachable moment, right? Where he's going to have them come up with plans and then submit them to him and he'll, he'll approve a plan and they will, and they'll, they'll work together to try to, to, uh, help Stevie. And, you know, he, he, they go and they, and they begin planning, they're coming up with their plans and he's talking with Lalandra and he's talking about how hard it is to get through to Danny, that she's just, you know, really fighting him every chance she gets. And Lalandra's like, you know, I get it. She's a lot like I was when I was young. And, you know, he's like, yeah, and and he, you know, they and they have the great moment here, and and he also explains further that like. In his younger years, like with, it's almost like he's harking back to, uh, when Scott and the original X Men were, his his students, and, how he would have you know used his force of will to 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 just force them to do the things he wanted them to do but he doesn't think that that's the right approach anymore he's mellowed with age and that the best approach is to kind of let her make her mistakes and and just be there to as guiding as a guiding influence and hopefully you know that'll be better like she is her own person he can't he can't break her and and that just wouldn't be right you know, it's a really good evolution of Xavier, and it's a, once again it's another example of why I like this Xavier better than uh, the Uncanny Xavier or the or, you know the the Silver Age Xavier. Um, but he is making a terrible decision. We're going to see how this decision uh, playing going forward in this issue is probably not the best decision uh, as far as letting his students uh, intervene uh, to help Stevie. There's probably better methods uh, out there. Um, and so their tender moment, Xavier, uh, Xavier and Lalandra's, ends with a kiss. Later, at Stevie's apartment, uh, we see Roberto working on a machine. And he's exp- it, it appears as though he and Xavier, he, he came up with a plan that Xavier has approved accepted and approved and Xavier helped him construct this machine that's going to help them trace the phone call when it comes in and he's finishing his touches on it and now all they have to do is wait and once once this guy calls they'll have him and that's that's the plan and so they wait and there's a whole bunch of calls and it takes you know a couple hours before they finally get the call from this guy and they're able to trace it back and they figure out uh, that it's from this phone booth. Um, and so they go to the phone booth, and at the phone booth, that's where they, they Rain transforms, and she transforms into a form, and she goes to the phone booth, and she picks up this guy's scent. Uh, first, it's a phone booth in, in Salem Center, and apparently in, in bigger cities, uh, people would urinate in them and all sorts of things, which makes sense. I mean, it's public property, and that happens... <laughs> today, right? Like graffiti. Um, and I remember going to the phone books 
uh, phone to the to the pay phones in, in when I was younger, and you'd open those. There they'd have phone books hanging from them, and you'd open them, and there'd be you know all the pages would be ripped out. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, and she's hacking, right? She just can't take it. It's disgusting, and she says so. But she, you know, she doubles back and she goes back into a form, and she she's able to pick up this guy's scent. So they they follow him, and they follow him all the way to. Uh, uh, to to the high school, um, and and they they're standing outside, and and they decide, you know, uh, and and they realize that you know this is the high school that those kids they met at the mall a couple issues back went to, and that that, that tonight was a school dance, and so they go to the window and they and they peer inside, and they see all the students in there, and Rain as she's looking in. Her and Sam go to the window, and, and as, she, as, she, as they're looking in, and Rain's in Wolf's form, she's able to, uh, using her abilities, she's seeing the color patterns uh, that, and, and from that, she's able to discern with the scent that she'd picked up who, you know, who the person there is, they're looking for is. Um, and, uh, as it, the rest of them double back and they're going to go inside. And so once Rain spots this this the person who's been calling Stevie, uh, they'll be in there to 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 take him, uh, basically uh, capture him and take him into custody. Or at least that's the plan. And uh, you know Stevie is a little concerned. Um, and Danny's like, well, you know, we're not going to hurt him. Don't worry. And Roberto, uh, he's like, well, it worked for uh, Thomas Magnum on last week's Magnum P.I. Uh, and, you know, like, that's all that matters, right, for him. It's like, hey, it's Magnum's plan. How could it be wrong? You know, the two things that really matter to Roberto are are the women and, are, you know, women and, and Magnum P.I. And, you know, he makes most of his life decisions based on what Magnum would do. So here you go. This is their plan, and this is how they got it. Uh, so they head in, and, you know, they're looking around. They see the kids that they'd met at the mall, and they're talking to them. And about this time, uh, Rain, who's looking in the window still with Sam, catches, catches, finds the person. She can see the person that has made the call, that had been making the calls. And she begins growling, um... And that person realizes, you know, this guy uh, realizes something's up. And it's that Peter Bristow. And he begins to, you know, he, you know, he's caught. He realizes it and, and he's beginning to act weird. And Stevie and Danny see him and they call him, uh, call him to it. And uh, he, he runs. He flees. Um, and he pushes... Uh, Stevie and Danny had approached him. He pushes uh, Stevie to the ground, and that's it. Reigns loses it, and she jumps through the window. Uh, and this causes, I mean, she's still in her wolf form. And this causes all the students that were dancing to just flee the gymnasium. They're running for their lives. It's panic. Uh, they're screaming about a wolf. And uh, she's still chasing Peter Bristow. And uh, Shane Coy Man, she gets. Uh, caught and knocked to the floor and, and her arm gets stepped on. Uh, the rest of the New Mutants uh, follow uh, Peter out the door who's been 
is closely followed by Rain. He gets into a car and speeds off. Rain's not able to keep up, and Sam sees this, and he 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 ignites himself. He rockets after uh, Peter. He's chasing the car, and he sees that this woman holding her child's hand is beginning to cross the street, and you know they're gonna get hit, and so he he shoots up in front of the car and is able to grab them before before Peter can hit them. Uh, but the problem is, he's as he's rocketing down this road, he's coming to a T intersection, and uh, it's a giant building in front of him, so there's nowhere to go, and he can't just stop because he's got these two people with him, and if he does, they'll be hurt. So he he's able to turn, and he turns for the very first time. He strains to do this, and he finally does it. He turns up and... Uh, is able to save these two people with you know and and he's very proud of himself for having turned for the very first time so at this moment uh cannonball sam guthrie's celebrating he says to a little girl who's crying hey little darling don't cry your mama just passed out she'll be fine me i feel like cheering i saved y'all and didn't smash anything in the process i finally did something right you know he's overjoyed it's it's a great moment for sam you know his character has been struggling to do to to accomplish this feat you know he's a 16 year old second oldest on the team and he he's still struggling to really master his abilities and i'm sure that was you know really wearing on his confidence uh so this moment you know he's done it and and he's just absolutely you know, elate, and and it makes sense, and it's just a great, great scene for Sam. Uh, he's he's an amazing guy and super, super nice, and uh, it's it's a great moment. So, meanwhile, uh, up ahead, the the car that Peter's driving, uh, he you know he loses control and he crashes into the side of a building. Uh, he bails out and he runs into a warehouse. He's closely followed by uh, Rain and Danny and Karma. Karma had noticed that Stevie twisted her knee and, and told, tells Roberto, you know, he he needs to stay with uh, Stevie, you know. And and Karma and Daniel head inside and, and he does so re- reluctantly, but he does stay with Rain um, or with Stevie, Hunter outside the, the building, you know, to, to protect her. Because uh, she's hurt now. Um, uh, Wolfsbane, still in Wolf's form, is moving through the warehouse, as is Danny and Karma. Danny and Karma are together. Wolfsbane's separated from them. But Danny does share that psychic rapport with Rain, uh, with Wolfsbane, uh, Rain. So uh, she's kind of aware that that, that she's okay. Um, now, the car hitting the building, uh, it's it's caused the building to become really unstable. It's an old rundown warehouse, I guess, and a large beam falls and, and Carmen knocks Danny out of the way. Well, meanwhile, outside, the car has started on fire and it's up against this wooden shed and apparently inside this shed is explosion, explosives. Um, one of the things we see on the fence outside the building, uh, it says danger blasting. Uh, so I assume maybe it's a, a 
building that they're tearing down, a construction site, or maybe it's a warehouse for explosives. I don't really know, but uh, this fire is causing problems, and Roberto, he notices this, so he changes into the sunspot form. He takes the car, and he lifts it up, and he throws it to the side. Well, I assume the shed contained explosion, explosives because the fire, uh, it caused an explosion, and it throws Roberto back. He's all right, um, but he does see a hole, and now the building's on fire, and it's even more unstable. So smoke's beginning to billow in, and, and they, uh, Danny and Karma, who are inside, they, they hear a scream. It's, it's rain screaming, and so they run towards the scream, and sure enough, uh, Peter has struck Rain in the head. She has turned back to her human form. Um, uh, she apparently had bit him at, on the leg, and he freaked out and hit her. Well, he's about to hit her again, it looks like. He's got this pipe raised up, and uh, Karma at this point possesses him. Um, well, there's another giant explosion uh, just as things are wrapping up, and the building now is collapsing. Uh, Danny's hovering over Rain and is concerned they got to get her out of there but she doesn't know what to do so she's going to shield her with his bo- her body but cannibal d- flies through and he, and he grabs up rain he makes the point mute and he says fo- you know tells his uh, teammates to follow him he'll punch a hole out of the the mess that they're in and so danny's running through this hole that he's created but the building's still collapsing and the hole's collapsing behind sam fairly quickly uh karma's dragging peter and running as quickly as she can but she's running slower and she she tells danny that she just needs to go get out of there um and and not worry about not worry about her and peter uh, they'll be right behind her, and and Danny says, "No way, we're we're a team. We're staying together." She refuses to to leave her behind, and so uh, as they get towards the entrance, uh, Cannonball has already cleared it. Uh, Roberto, in his sunspot form, is holding up a steel beam in part of the wall of the building, and he he's telling them, "Hey, I'm almost at my limit." And if if you remember, sunspot. He he draws his ener- he draws solar energy and he metabolizes that. That allows him to turn into sunspot. Well, he's essentially a battery. And at night, which this is night, uh, he doesn't have solar power to to draw on, so he can't recharge himself. Um, and so his his power is limited, and he, he only can maintain this form for a very short time without solar energy to replenish him. Uh, so he he's aware that he's he's gonna transform back into his uh transform back to the human form uh he won't have the strength to continue to hold this building up and uh he he does return to his roberto da costa form and uh but it's just you know danny and and peter and uh karma clear the clear the building just as he does and he's able to dive clear as as the building completely collapses um Meanwhile, back at Stevie's apartment, uh, Stevie's sitting on the couch next to Peter, and uh, they're talking. And she she desperately wants to know, you know, why why did this happen? And he he you know he refuses to tell her. And she tells him, well, well, we can call the cops. We can let your parents know. And at this point, he gets scared. He he ref- he doesn't want his parents to know. He's he's terrified of that. Please, you know, don't don't tell them. Leave them out of it. You know, send me to prison. I don't care. Uh, and and at this point, Xavier he he. Uh, telepathically informs Danny, you know, use your powers, pull it out of him, you know, force him, you know, that'll t- that'll get us the answers we want, um, and and you know, Danny, she's 
not sure uh, she should use her abilities this way. You know, I really like this moment because we got Danny now questioning what 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 she should do here, and and she ultimately will use her powers to to get the answers that they need from Peter. But uh, it it reminds me of if we remember issue number one, she accidentally pulled uh, in in the very first opening sequence of that book. She pulls uh, uh, Shane uh, Karma's deepest fear or deepest nightmare or deepest most horrible memories of her childhood from her and and presents them to her classmates and this is accidental and here she is in another moment where she's going to take somebody's deepest passions and deepest uh fears and and show everyone in the room that and you know that's can't be a great feeling and and here she is kind of having this moment of crisis and the other character that's had this happen is is karma when she possessed uh in issue two ep- uh, issue number two uh ep- episode three uh the attack of the sentinels in that issue we we see her uh karma possessing that uh agent and she is beginning to wondering at that point that like maybe it's not okay that she uses her powers like she didn't like using them in the first place and here she is using them regularly and she's not feeling like she's okay she's not really okay with that she doesn't really like it and so both characters are kind of having this crisis of conscience um and and they're both struggling with their powers and i'll be honest i think that makes for er interesting much more interesting characters when um a character it's using their abilities or using their powers um, leads to some sort of personal conflict or potentially causes them pain. It makes from uh, it, it can make for much more interesting stories. And their powers just don't just happen. Um, you know, like how a good a good example of this is like Wolverine, right? His every time he pops his claws, it, he has to cut through his skin right because of his healing factor his his he doesn't have holes in his hands where his claws pop out instead his claws create the hole in his flesh and it rip every time he he pops his claws it rips through his flesh again so it bleeds and and it causes pain and it might not be major pain especially for Wolverine but it does cause that and so that there has to be a choice uh then to use it and and these two characters uh, Danny and Shane Coyman, they both have even, I think, more of a personal um, and potentially more harmful consequences for the use of their powers. Uh, Shane doesn't like what her bro- her brother became and doesn't want that to be what she becomes. And Danny, every time she pulls joy or fear or something horror, like she feels some of what, what the person that she is pulling those memories or those feelings from, uh, she feels some of what they feel. And, and that causes, you know, can be uh, detrimental to her and it not to mention the people that she's doing it to. So there's, you know, there's, I think, some interesting character development there. Uh, but she she ultimately, like I said, does pull uh, first Peter's deepest desire, which is him kissing Stevie Hunter. 
and he's enraged. He tries to uh, lunges at uh, Danny, but but Sam's ho- holding him. And Stevie's like, "Well, if you if you like me, why would you do that to me? Why would you why would you call me?" And and I just don't understand. And 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 Danny pulls his deepest fear from him, and and uh, she reaches even deeper and is able to pull that out, and and presents this image of. His his mother, who's just standing over, uh, standing behind her husband, Stevie uh, Peter's father, and she's just watching as as he as uh, Peter's father takes his belt and he whips his son with it, is whipping his son with it, and he says to his son, "This is for your own good, Peter. You'll thank me for it when you're older." And and Peter says, "Yes, yes, Pop," and you know he's just, you know taking this beating and what we come to find out is that Peter equates uh, love with physical abuse and so uh, you know as enraged as he is um, we do find out that you know he, he you know he tells Stevie that like you know, if you really cared about me, like I, 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 you know, started coming to dance and I got to know you and I, and I liked you a lot and you, and you seemed to like me, but you know, you just refused to punish me. And so like, I just didn't understand, like if you cared about me, you would have, you would have, you know, punished me. And he's like, well, just call the cops, call my, call my folks. I don't care about it anymore. And Roberto's just shocked. Like, this is not his experience. He's never seen something like this before. And he's like, your parents did this to you. Do they hate you so much? And Peter replies, don't be stupid. They don't hate me at all. They love me. You know, and this is where he gets into this explanation. Like, he's just broken, right, at this point. It's just, I'm a bad box. I need to be punished. And this is where he tells Stevie that, like, hey, you know, like, He's in tears, he's just distraught, he's crushed, um, you know, like, I really started to like you, I liked going to dance, and I thought you really cared about me, but, you know, you, you, you said you liked me, but when, uh, you wouldn't punish me, no matter what I did, I figured you were lying, that you really didn't care, cause if you loved me, you'd hit me, and I wanted to get even. And so that's why he started harassing her, and that's why he started calling her, because she wouldn't hit him. And if she really cared, like his parents cared, she would have beat him too. And uh, they do contact the authorities. Uh, Child Welfare Protective Services comes and uh, takes him to the hospital, and Xavier's also arrived, and uh, Xavier... uh, he he decides, you know, the best bet thing to do now is to erase part of his memory or to change his memory so that he doesn't remember the the new mutants being involved in this. Um, and uh, it's kind of concluded with actually a really good thought. Um, and he, it's from Xavier, and he tells the team, if you ever wish a justification for who and what and why you are, both as human beings and as mutants... This is it. Not fighting villains or evil mutants, but simply helping people. You know, and that's kind of what what we're going to see this this series becoming, right? Is really just helping people. The new mutants trying to help people, themselves, each other, um, and, and being useful in that way. They're not 
they're not going to be like a massive super team like the X-Men or the Avengers. Um, they might get into some incidents where, where they get wrapped into some bigger story arcs that are more like superhero-esque, but they really aren't that. It's more of a a book about teenagers growing up, people growing up, learning how to deal with life on life's terms. And, and a lot of what happens in these story arcs are just metaphors for for adolescents becoming adults um, or teenagers becoming adults. And uh, that's something I really adore about this book. Now, this issue has some excellent parts in it I really adore. Um, I like some of the character development that occurs in this issue. I love that Sam has this moment of that he was able to turn and he's just overjoyed with that. I love that we're seeing some conflict and Danny continuing to be Danny and Xavier, you know, realizing that, hey, you know, I can't, I can't be uh, the same, I can't treat these students like I treated Scott Jean and the Silver Age X-Men. I have to, I have to be different, I have to be better. And I I appreciate that from him. I like the growth that we're seeing in this this comic from him. At the same time, we're seeing some of the similar mistakes, right? Like Xavier just, he continues to tell us that he doesn't want this team to be superheroes, but they keep acting as though they're superheroes. And he keeps putting them in situations where they're superheroes. They wear costumes that suggest they're a superhero team or that they're students at a school and they will graduate and become superheroes, right? Like they look just like the original X-Men, those similar style costumes um, that I like. Don't don't get me wrong. But like for everything he says that they're not those things, everything they do suggests that they're training to become that. Superheroes, right? That they're training to become the X-Men. Um, which is, I don't mind. But it, it does say that, it, you know, it, he's contradicting himself with just his actions. Um, I also have a problem that he just willy-nilly erases somebody's uh, memories of a certain situation. Um, It's also pretty weak when it comes to uh, its depiction of the cycle of abuse. Um, You know, it's it's not the greatest story. It doesn't feel right. Um, It's like almost rushed. Like maybe there needed more time to really tell this story properly or maybe it would have been a good idea to have uh, a better understanding of psychology and, uh, you know, issues with children and, and parental abuse. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, a a, a very uncomfortable story. I think one of the things that, uh, it seems really odd is how disproportionate the response is right if you're looking for a proportionate response to something like this you would want to bring the person to justice or or to confront the person that's making these harmful phone calls depending on who it is um yet our our response from the new mutants is like way over the top and um that i don't have so much a problem with because they're teenage mutants trying to learn how to be superheroes but the fact that some their headmaster of their school said yeah this is a great plan and you should do it and like let's not forget that the entire time he's uh telepathically 
communicating with them or is able to if he chooses to. So he probably knows what's happening throughout this and is like, uh, oh, well, you know, who cares? Rain ran through a uh, dance and, like, caused a stampede. No big deal. A building blew up. No big deal. You know, like, it's just so, like disastrous and the fact that Xavier kind of has no problem with it uh, is slightly odd short of those problems you know the book uh, it's it's not the best issue of New Mutants but it's not the worst by by any means Um, I do have those few problems Uh, they would have been better served I mean since they kind of almost are going for like hey if this happens for you these are the things you should do um type of message, right? Like, maybe they should have gotten some people to help write the book that knew what they were talking about. Uh, But that being said, it's not a terrible issue. I love, uh, I love, I love um, the character development in this issue. Uh, I like that the students are so concerned with helping their teachers. You know, it's really this this group of people that are joining the X-Men family, right? They're tight-knit and they, they protect each other. And that's, kind of what the X book is about in my opinion. X titles written by Claremont at this time are like us versus everyone else. We're outsiders but we have each other and, and the new mutants are that way and they protect the people that they care about and I and I think that book that this this conveys that very well. Um, you know and it, it's something that I should probably kind of touch back on is you know this is, this is the first time that we have uh, a new artist drawing the the new mutants and i mean selby simmons not a bad bad artist but but we're losing bob mcleod and bob mcleod's work on the book what i've which i've talked about is how superb his character artwork is they all looked different and they all had their own personalities they all carried themselves differently posture right their facial features all that fantastic work and and like they didn't look like they were models and that they had prepped and primped and put on makeup before they went out they looked like real people like they all had different postures they all looked super different and you didn't need clothing or hairdos to be able to tell them apart and we're starting to lose that uh Salbusema doesn't draw his characters the same way he doesn't do a terrible job but he does not do as well as good a job as Bob McCloud. And, you know, just the way Bob McCloud draws these teenagers and he makes them believable and so real, like, that is something that should be applauded and should be remembered. And it's a shame that he didn't have a longer run on this series because his work is phenomenal. Uh, he Every time I look through those first four issues of graphic novels on the first three issues that he did and and the cover artwork that he did for the book you know he just keeps moving up my list of of artists you know and at this point it's bill zinkevich and uh and and bob mcleod one and two and uh for good reason and and it just happens that they both you know are are uh extremely important artists when it comes to the new mutants heavily influence where this book goes and how i would argue how successful it was 
Um, so that's, yeah, that's the end of this, this issue. And next week we will be talking about issue number five, Viper and the Silver Samurai. As usual, James Explores the New Mutants is recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are available every Wednesday via most major podcast platforms. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at ExploreNewMutant or via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Anchor voice message feature is an easy way for you, the listeners, to send me questions or submissions, and I can take those messages and place them directly in the podcast. It's really a cool feature. I really enjoy using it. So please, if you have questions, you know, don't hesitate to send them to me via that uh, that voice messenger or through email or on Twitter. I'd be happy to answer any questions or uh, any comments that you have. Uh, until then, please keep reading those comics.